Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamble, welcoming you to Ask a Leader. My guest today is Katie Cavoda, who's recently co-founded a new political action campaign in Orange County, Asians Americans Rising, among other political organizational talents we'll talk about. We'll take the full hour to explain them as she institutionalizes these here in the OC. We'll be right back after a very short station break. Welcome back to the show. My guest for the full hour is Katie Calvota, co-founder of a new political action campaign in Orange County, Asian Americans Rising, and founder of Women for American Values and Ethics, also known as WAVE. Katie Born in Vietnam, repatriated with her family as refugees in the U.S., one of the many defining situations that brought her to power politics. After graduating from the University of California, Berkeley in 1995 with a degree in economics, she started out as an accountant at PricewaterhouseCoopers before moving into middle market investment banking, advising on real estate for City Group in Orange County. In 99, she worked for investment consultant Budge Collins, first helping to wind down his advisory business and then setting up a broker dealership there of which she was president. Katie set aside this business business opportunity to respond to a family emergency and subsequent matters. She went on to launch Newport Wealth Management in hedge fund investments. She is founder and CEO of G Ventures, a nonprofit corporation specializing in impact investments, innovative philanthropy, and community advocacy. She chaired the inaugural National Impact Investment Conference for Camden Wealth Conferences in September and serves as the founding member of Innovative Philanthropy, Philanthropy at the Orange County Community Foundation. Her achievements have garnered many national and international awards, including Angel Investor of the Year and Business Leader in Real Estate Investments. Locally, she's been awarded Women of Coast 2019. We first met in person at the California Democratic 2019 Convention in San Francisco last May at the Crazy Political Asians Caucus Party that was equal parts shiny objects and high-velocity policy. The wattage was high enough to bring the Julian Joaquin Castro brothers inside. We're having her on today for the full hour to talk about how she's laser-like focusing on broad demographics to be engaged in politics on the local, state, and federal levels. She joins me in studio. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Katie Calvota. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it so much. So I'd like to start with legacy. That's been a thread from your earliest thinking and your role in the world. How early and how exactly? Well, legacy has been something that has been uh, important to me ever since um, my parents recently passed away. My mom passed away uh, in December 2017, and then my father passed away in April 2018. And when I was going through the journey with them, 
there was always a moment where I looked at them and said, you know, I wondered if there are other things that they would like to tell me about their lives, about, you know, sort of our family story and everything that they've accomplished in their lives. And they were so, um, I would say, incapacitated at, the, at that moment that I didn't get a chance to be able to converse with them in a really rich way. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to have that experience with my own kids. You know, my kids are young and I I don't um, anticipate having that kind of moment with them. But at the same time, it was important to me to have an idea of what a living legacy would look like. And so at the time I was, you know, in my early 40s. And having just uh, retired from my uh, my work at Newport Wealth Management uh, and engaging in philanthropy uh, locally in Orange County, I thought no better time than now to start thinking about um, you know legacy and defining who you are and what you want to leave behind and how you want to make a difference. I'm even wondering, Katie, if legacy didn't start from how you managed to eke out a brand new life. From having you were in your what preschool years when you moved here? I was a toddler. I was um, no more than I was three when we left, and four when we came to the U.S. Um, we were in a what would now be a detention camp um, that we are witnessing here in the southern border. Um, we were in a camp um, in Malaysia, and we stayed there for thirteen months. So absolutely, um, all of those experiences. Uh, collectively have defined who I am and what I believe in and how I am uh, a champion for vulnerable communities today. So you building things, you have an eye and a sense for that. So um, maybe talk talk about the earliest sort of opportunity you, you saw and you followed through with that. Well, early on, I thought that um, people, families in particular, didn't have the necessary skills and tools in order to be effective agents of change and agents of progress in society. I I saw that families were being catered to quite a bit and in a very superficial way. um, And people really didn't want to learn about what families, what makes families tick. Uh, And this is particularly in the family office industry, which was the bread and butter of Newport Wealth Management. And so when I set out to do investment management, I wanted to focus on that particular subgroup of family capital and um, created a niche for myself because I took the time to be holistic about it, to learn people's aspirations, to learn about their family values, to learn about what it is that they want the the money that they've either inherited or created vis-a-vis a a company um, that they founded, um, what sort of legacy they wanted to leave behind with, with, uh, with those accomplishments. And so to me, legacy has been sort of on my mind since sort of my days in business. Um, and in doing so, I broke a lot of different um, trends. You know, back then, everything was sort of becoming institutionalized. Everybody was doing the same thing. Portfolios were being um, created almost, uh, um, you know, as a, as a boilerplate template. And we really did something unique, which was to sort of create customized portfolios for our family, but for other families as well. And in that way, at 27, when I started Newport Wealth Management, um, I was asked to go and speak uh, at the Milken Global Conference, and I was scared to death. I mean, I'm, I'm here talking to world financiers, um, Nobel Prize winning authors and philosophers and practitioners. 
Um, but we offered a perspective that was really revolutionary. And today, it's interesting because a lot more uh, private banks, a lot more money managers, a lot more different Wall Street firms are taking that same approach. So I think for what we were doing, we were always sort of carving out our own legacy in the business world. But at the same time, I found it kind of sad that at the pinnacle of their success, a lot of these wealthy families were not sort of getting, I would say, satisfaction with their life. And it all goes back to purpose. You know, what is it that we're doing every day that drives us to a better sense of ourselves? And it's that purpose that you can't sort of buy. You, you know, you can't um, go out and, f- and find purpose. Um, you just sort of have to uh, create it and let it brew organically. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that I think we all chase as humans. That's a whole lovely topic, and I can't wait. I'm going to get to talk with a communication sort of uh professional. He'll talk later on about how small businesses can respond to threading in purpose into their enterprise. And we'll, so I, that's an interesting thing. And it, they must, you must have given all the Millican Foundation attendees a real aha moment like, well, we can, we can be custom and we can add amazing amount of value to being custom. Well, I think what I did was I empowered the next generation of leaders in the family office space to be able to find their voice. And seeing somebody as young as I was at the time talking yes. about this really sort of gave them a method and a, a vehicle to seek that change. And so I think above all else, I might have inspired them to yes. start speaking out. And so today, as a product of that, I would say, and not just myself, of course, there's tons and tons of other people who have engage in this kind of conversation. But collectively, we've brought about this thing called uh, impact investments. And so I'm glad to see that that's come to fruition as a result of years and years and years of talking about um, investing our values. So I'd like to pivot away for the larger share of this interview with you today and talk about now, not so much the, well, it's entrepreneurial in a political sense, but away from the investment side and now the the political, the power politics that you've been. First, you got, you launched, you helped co-found the the WAVE, the Women for American Values and Ethics. That yes. was, so what, just briefly, because I want to talk more about the Asian Americans rising, but that was maybe your sort of testing. That's right. Your uh, your beta test of what the the sort of local political arm looks like and how it's That's activated. Right. That's right. So I, um, after the 2016 election, I really found solace in a lot of friends who were like-minded, who were all also very shocked by the results of that election. And we were, um, you know, we were searching for a way to make a difference, to do something about it. And me and some friends of mine who had kids attending uh, the same school in Orange County thought that we should maybe get together and write some letters to our representatives in Congress and things like that. And one thing led to another, and about 20 of us uh, started uh, WAVE, Women for American Values and Ethics. I was one of the, the first members, but I have to say that the fact founder and really the brain trust of WAVE is Joanna Weiss. And I gave her a lot of credit because she really mobilized all of us uh, to back her uh, and her vision for WAVE. Uh, And for us, it was about sort of getting moms together to take a stand about 
sort of the things that the values that were um, that we were conveying in in government and in politics, and we wanted to restore respect and humanity and civility and things like that that are true American values. But yeah, I I first started with them, and we put together a mission statement. We created a membership that now is you know I think past a thousand members now, and it was women across Orange County, really like-minded women who wanted a safe harbor. To get together and talk politics—that was something that wasn't done before. So that harbor—that's you opened up the harbor. It's a deep harbor now. Yes. With Asians American rising, it's a political action committee, and it is you're focusing on Orange County. This is where you're starting. We'll talk later about templates for broader application later. But talk about what is. Asians American Rising. Just the first the charter, and then I want to break it down in very interesting kinds of demographic details. Right. So Asian Americans Rising is organized as a non-connected federal PAC. However, we do have other different affiliated entities, including a 501c4 organization, which is a social welfare organization called Asian Americans Rising uh, Action Fund. And then we're also launching a 501c3, a nonprofit arm, which is going to be called Advance OC. Our mission, quite simply, is just to elevate the political impact of Asian Americans um, uh, through civic engagement issue advocacy, and promotion of candidates who represent our values and interests. And in those three things, we're going to focus on Orange County and try to win the hearts and minds of the API community. And that is a tall order. I've so many years when my my own offspring were in, in school here, then I, I was always trying to entice my foreign-born sisters, as I called them, and bring them into the political arena, that it wasn't an exotic activity, it was everybody's activity, and that I, I wanted to sort of introduce how that kind of salon works, that it was accessible, it was fulfilling, that kind of thing, and you are now, you are doing, you bring them together in this enterprise. It's So I think it's important that we understand, one, I just did a little checking, there are over 537,000 Asian Americans in Orange County, mm-hmm. and, and we're a little over 3.1 million total. So it's a large share. But when, when we say Asian Americans, though, so tell us the whole breadth of your target here. Right, right. So Asian Americans rising tries to be very inclusive, and we try to be pan-Asian. And so with that in mind... And that's a huge order. It's a huge order, and it's also very hard to do because we're basically essentially asking them to take on the moniker of Asian Americans, um, even though they may come and descend from different countries. There are over 40 different countries in uh, greater Asia, lots of different religions, lots of different dialects and languages. So it's a very hard And political cultures that they bring. Absolutely. So for us, it's about bringing together the community in a way in which they self-identify. So for us, our challenge is not only uh, these various different countries uh, of which we descend from, but also the cultural ramifications of that and also being first or second or third generation. All of that colors our perspective politically. So it, it's, a, it's a large task, but we don't do it alone. What we are trying to do is we're trying to just be a platform for people who identify 
as such and who are aligned in their thinking. Uh, and we may not be f- something for everyone. There are obviously other uh, components. There's the Vietnamese American Democratic Club. There's the Korean American Democratic Club. Lots of different organizations speaking to various different uh, Asian national groups. But uh, what we're trying to be is trying to be a home that's inclusive of as many people as possible. For those of you who've just joined us for the full hour, we're devoting the show to Katie Calvota, co-founder of a new political action campaign in Orange County, expressly right now, Asian Americans Rising, and she's a founder of G- G3 <laughs> Ventures. Yeah, and, I, and I'm and, the founder and president of, and the, of Asian Americans Rising. Yes. And so uh, we're talking about the constituents and uh, 40 different countries. And, and the difference in generations, too, makes for an entirely different pitch. You probably have, a, I guess, they tend, the older gener- the first arrivals are tending to be a bit more conservative. And as their offspring are acculturated here in the U.S., they become a bit, do they become a little more progressive? So you've got a real range of political uh, sensibilities that you're trying to engage Asians all over Orange County. Absolutely. It's no different, I would say, than just sort of the American electorate in every different ethnic group. Um, So you'll have older generations, baby boomers, you know, uh, uh, having different opinions than Gen Xers or millennials. So it's the same dynamic that's happening in the Asian American uh, household. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to be the bridge between those two different factions um, and also show sort of the things that we're working on today will have ramifications for the third and fourth generation. So to us, it's not so foreign of a concept to no. talk to the first generation about their their aspirations for their children and grandchildren. And so that's the link. And so that's how we're able to mm. appeal to multi-generations as well as different multicultural you know, uh, orientations within you know, the Asian diaspora. So engaging voters... So let's talk about how, what, where are you getting this kind of buy-in? There's a, there's a lot of ways you're, you're wanting them to be habitual voters, and they're not, that's, that democratic value is not necessarily, when we're talking about different political cultures, that's not a muscle that's been flexed a lot. So you're sort of bringing them into political literacy, a procedural sort of familiarity. So what, what are the sort of ways you begin with engaging this whole demographic? Well, first and foremost, we have to be able to find community leaders and surrogates who will help us be ambassadors for this mission, right? They will be people that run churches. There will be people that run community organizations that talk about the importance of, of voting and, and being, a civic, um, being civically engaged and, and what that means and how it ties directly to them. So what we need to do is be able to say you casting your vote is also going to dictate the, the, the level of funding that your school, the school that your children are attending will get and the quality of the education or the, the different health care programs that are provided to the community. So us being able to tie those values to the, the ballot box, to actual the exercising your vote, your right to vote uh, is key. And we have to do that in multiple languages because we have to meet them where they are if they are are primarily a Chinese speaker, if they're primarily a Vietnamese speaker, we have to be able to speak to them in their terms and make things familiar. And that that comes so naturally to you. I mean, you've got uh, all these people helping in your organization, but you one-on-one, 
that you're probably hearing your voice from dealing with the family investment kinds of uh, motifs that it's you're meeting them where they are absolutely and seamless I I take so much of my experience in the family office world talking to these different generations and even within our own families when I talk to my parents about the their wishes and and dreams for their children it's the same thing when you have a political conversation with these families it's the same exact thing what are your uh your what are your dreams and values for your children and being able to tie that into sort of initiatives, propositions, candidates that speak to those values is the key. So let's talk about, let's break down. And while you're breaking it down, I I really encourage any kind of like anecdotal sort of expressions of stories about that. So let's talk about the issues that are about us. Now, there's the first, there's Southeast deportation. That must be for some a like the the most salient thing they could concern themselves and they know every they're all all southeast asians are very very aware of what's going on absolutely and probably and thrown off they didn't see it coming right no they didn't um when we talk about immigration as a whole you know the community the api community has really seen a bifurcation those of us who have come in earlier waves will say, well, you know, we were taken in. We did it through, quote unquote, the legal way. We you know, waited in line, so to speak, and things like that. Um, but what's, what people don't realize is that the rules are changing, right? So the things that are considered, quote unquote, illegal today were very much legal before because that was the pathway to citizenship for many, many families and many, many generations. And so what, what immigrant communities need to understand is that people are trying to change the rules so that they criminalize the activities of immigration patterns that happened you know, gener- generations ago. So today, what we're seeing is the Trump administration really trying to weaponize immigration. And it's a catch-all for all immigrant communities, not just you know from Mexico or Central America, where we're really seeing a lot of the focus in the media. But Cambodians have been deported in large numbers. I mean, just uh, unprecedented numbers of late, as well as sort of Vietnamese Americans as well. What the community also needs to know is that our households contain mixed status family oh, members. So we very may, key. Yeah. So we may have uh, our second and third generation family members who were born here are citizens or even our first generation who are naturalized citizens who have a sponsored a family member who are here or who have other um, relatives who are going through the immigration process who may not have their green cards or who may not have their citizenship yet. And so when we talk about mixed status immigration policies, it affects the API community in tremendous ways. And it was a, it was a surprise. Absolutely. I think the Vietnamese community really were shaken by it. There is an agreement, the repatriation agreement that the Trump administration actually uh, considered uh, renegotiating. And that really was a stab in the heart for the Vietnamese community who really thought that they were here to stay, that this is a country that uh, uh, have embraced them and welcomed them and that they would not be forced to return to a country that, number one, many of these families fought alongside the U.S you know, uh, armed forces in the Vietnam War. And so they would be targets for uh, lots of, you know, lots of bad things. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go into it. But, um, you know, they themselves, their family members, extended family members um, would be targets of the government. So it, it was very scary to think that, um, you know, naturalized citizens, citizens could be denaturalized. 
they opened a, a clinic in Los Angeles where they could start reviewing naturalization cases. And if you, you know, misrepresented anything in those in that paperwork, they, it could be a claim for deportation. Now the Trump administration and that could be anything. That could be so many things that we could do in our civilian life. Yeah. yeah, it could be a birthday if you if you changed a birthday, uh, or if you, um, you know, I, I remember personally for us when my parents uh, fled Vietnam, uh, we didn't have any of our birth certificates and my mom had uh, 13 kids I'm one of 13 kids oh my goodness so for her I hope she re- remembered all of our birthdays and I hope they're all accurate but you know she may not have or she may have you know it just in the exchange of the the hustle and bustle of doing immigration paperwork may have you know misstated something and, and that's that's the nature that's the sort of the climate that refugees travel in traffic in is that uh, what kinds of documentation do you get to keep a hold of as you're moving through Malaysia and some other maybe other other uh, port of entry before you come to the states or somewhere else? So it's having all those things in order is a tall order just to start there. Plus having all these records of everything you did, every every left turn you shouldn't have taken, domestic abuse. There are all those things that could complicate this whole situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we have to remember that many of these people are fleeing violence and fleeing war or other circumstances. And so they didn't have the time to go and, and, and uh, you know, gather all of their belongings and gather all of their paperwork. So a lot of them came empty handed with just the shirts and clothes, you know, off their back. And so I think we have to remember that uh, in those circumstances that we, we can't abide by sort of the, the rules of engagement, you know, in, in a different cir- circumstance. Um, um, and that's I think that's the key with um, with what's happening in the southern border right now is that we have to lead with empathy and we have to lead with common sense. And um, quickly, I think the the repatriation agreements are changing for all people in the world that have aided the American military. And so I don't know if there's there's coalescing with Middle Eastern and Afghani uh repatriating refugees here with the Asians rising. It's, it's huge. It's, it's, a, it's huge a huge issue. And also, as your earlier question said, well, you know, w- w- how do we coalesce the entire community? Right. What, what is Asian Americans in, in its definition? And we ask people, you know, what does it mean to you? If you self-identify as Asian American, then we welcome you. And so a lot of our Arab American, you know, community members also relate to our um, values and what we're trying to do for the immigrant community. And so they've come on board as well. Um, you know, some members of the Persian community feel the same way. So it's it's basically it's a it's a galvanizing cry about similar experiences. It's not necessarily a label uh, to identify, uh, you know, culturally or ethnically what we are. It's really about shared values and shared experiences. And we find that a lot of people, even the Jewish community, have really empathized with what we're trying to do because they themselves, you know, for generations and years before experience the same thing. So we were we started with the issue of the deportation immigration. So what do you see Katie is going to be the role in the census enumeration? We have a moving target of what's going to be the actual construction of the census form itself. It still hasn't been resolved. And so 
all of this is waving more uncertainty. We're not talking just uncertainty of the of having a business here and whether family members are going to be subject to deportation, but the uncertainty of what does the census form look like? Who is going to be participating? So is Asians American Rising involved in organizing people in the enumeration process? Absolutely. I mean, it seems like we're going to need an army to make sure every individual, every household is approached yeah, to um, count. We are a part of a, a, a collective. Um, there are different groups that are organizing um, different coalitions to handle the census. Um, I know that the... Um, uh, the Charitable Ventures is running one in Orange County, um, and they are uh, working with the county to get dollars um, to different organizations who will be going out and, and doing the door knocking, you know, for, for the counting purposes. Um, we also have community leaders that are working directly for the federal government in the census uh, department who are also trying their very best. So what we're all trying to do is trying to figure out how we can best uh, add value. And so Asian Americans Rising, uh, we've s surveyed the landscape. We've tried to figure out what everyone is doing, and we're trying to carve out where we can add value uh, in the process. And number one, it's our advocacy um, platform. We're going to make this a big issue at our um, upcoming presidential forum. Um, as and well, we'll talk about that right at the tail end of the interview. Okay, we will get there. So advocacy is a big role that we can play, but also we're going to be reaching out to f uh, faith leaders in our community. We're going to make a dedicated play with Asian American churches and Asian American you know, community organizations. So uh, just help me understand, what will be the kind of tone, the pitch to get involved? Is it going to be, it's you're protecting your local funding, federal funding, you are, don't be afraid. I mean, you're, you're, there's yeah. a sort of a, a delicate sort of line to, to walk here, a, d a delicate message to assure people that it's the right thing to do, it's a safe thing to do, it's an essential thing to do. So it's going to be an interesting message. Maybe you just keep tailoring it depending on which community leader is the, the purveyor of absolutely, the message. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's important that we have trusted leaders in the community talking about the census as an important thing that we can do as a community. So our play, our hope is that when we work with faith community leaders and also community leaders of various community organizations in Asian American neighborhoods, the trust that they have in these leaders will eradicate the fear that they feel from the census being used in, um, in a malicious way. And so if we know that over 40% of Asian Americans feel like the census will be used against them in some way. And so the fear factor is very, very real. And so that's why we have to go with our faith leaders. We have to go with our community champions, known icons in the community as people who are going to be the ambassadors of this effort. Well, is, does that mean you're already starting on that message now? Yes. You must be going out there and hard with that because I mean, every new breaking news item around what's on the the actual form is probably I don't know if it's is is the is it trending upward of people that are more fearful of Asian Americans in Orange County. So forty percent isn't the ceiling. It could it's be. It's not the ceiling, but it's also the highest among every ethnic group. Wow. Because, and I'll tell you, uh, there's a couple of different dimensions to that. It's the citizenship question, of course, that we're talking right. about that they're um, trying to add to the census. But it's also you have to understand in Orange County, it's a very expensive housing community, right? So we have multi-generations, which is actually very cultural if you think about it. Your sure. grandparents living with It's kids. a compound. It's a compound. And so they may or may not be following occupancy rules. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So sure. there's that issue. So they come to your door and they say, how many people live here? 
And so there's that fear, too, of being evicted or being um, kicked out or, or being fined um, for exceeding occupancy. So it's, it's a bunch of different factors. But what we need to do is we need to be able to protect this, the U.S. Census, have our representatives really fight hard to protect the, the you know, male intent of the Trump administration from using this data uh, in a nefarious way. So we have to protect the U.S. Census. That's one front, and that's a political front. Um, but it's also a legal front as well. And then we have the other front of making sure that everyone is counted. And that's we're leaning heavily on groups that are on the ground that have been serving the community for years and years and years. And these are trusted advocates for the community. And so if they have received you know, healthcare services from this organization, or if they've gone to church every week you know, at this church, um, we want these community organizations to really step up and be the trusted voices of, yes, let's fill out the census. This is good for us and our community. This is how we get resources for our kids, for our seniors, um, and, and you know other areas of our community. And I imagine you're going to be looking at pairing the the one who's engaging the households, engaging the communities to engage the households, that it's going to have to be pairing like ethnicities to build the trust because somebody else, were I just to show up in uh, Westminster, I couldn't probably, I'd be not necessarily welcome well, or uh, considered a trusted member that's has their interest. It's very similar to canvassing, if you think about it. I've it, thought of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you canvass a, a household and you try to get them to vote or vote for a candidate or vote for a proposition, you have to be able to convey um, you know, trust with the person you're talking to. And so it would be ideal. In an ideal world, we would have enough folks who are speaking these languages, you know, to volunteer or to be paid to be, um, you know, helping people fill out the census um, and have the language capacity uh, to do so. I mean, that in an, in a, you know, in an ideal world would be perfect, but we are going to be able to uh, have to do what we can and use the volunteers and the folks that we have. One template that had occurred to me that might be a value in this, cause, because you have to be an official person to enumerate a household for the census. Mm -hmm. But in the case of, this is a stretch, but it, I think it's a comparable template for you, is that the Air Quality Management District has monitoring of air quality throughout the region. Right. And there were neighborhoods that there was no data being collected. And that meant if there's no data, then AQMD was not responsible for the the going concerns of that community. Right. So what activists did in the case of like the Wilmington neighborhood, where all those refineries are in the near the ports, is that they deputized, they trained people to be able to take valid data so now aqmd has data from wilmington and that, that they've they fanned out and they've even the, the aqmd tried to change some of the the rules for data collection but the activists kept right with them so that there there could be ways that there are trained i'm not sure if they're enumerators or tr trained some sort of advanced team that can be a legitimate sort of bridge to getting that data into the census. Yeah, I, I think I think all of that is uh, is under consideration um, right now. And there are groups that we meet on a regular basis to strategize about how to do this uh, appropriately for um, hard to count communities. And obviously, the Asian American community is one of them. Also, the state of California is being really helpful. Um, they're allocating additional dollars, state dollars to this effort. 
effort. And so we'll be oh, seeing wow. a huge PR campaign, yeah. a media campaign to be funded um, relatively soon uh, on that front. That The messaging from the state will be helpful. But also, I, I take your point, we do need to have an army you know, of people who are willing to go and, and help either gather folks to these census events so that we can get large groups of people signed up at the same time. Because going door to door is very inefficient. We hope that they would get the messaging and do it themselves and fill it out themselves. But as you know, they've also cut back on the number of different census forms in different languages. So that makes it really tough as well. And so then and then they're also merging and they want to do it online. And so that's challenging for our older communities. So which languages have been dropped? Do you know? I do know. But, you know, for an accurate, I don't want to misrepresent. but But as a draft. Tentatively, which languages well, are going? In print, it's only Spanish what? Um, and English. And so if you wanted another language, you'd have to call in to a call-in number, and then they will walk you oh, through Oh, like it. everybody's going to want to make that call. <laughs> We're already feeling a bit threatened about household sizes. and Exactly, and, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's a tall so order it's, than it's I quote thought. It's quote-unquote available, but it's really, if you think about it logistically. It's a barrier. It's, huge. it's a huge barrier. Wow. All right. Well, that's going to we'll, we'll do we'll develop public service announcements to and and Thank actually you. we'll do that in multiple languages. So Perfect. stay stay tuned. We'll we got work to do in the other parts of the station here. So another an issue that affects communities that are underrepresented, which Asian Americans rising is about representing. Yes. yes. L- legit here um is the healthcare, public health and health research. How is Asians American Rising dealing with the whole healthcare yeah. package. There are lots of different um, Asian American organizations that specialize in healthcare and healthcare policy. And so what we try to do is we try to plug in to those other organizations and get our policy, you know, talking points from them as well as sort of leads from them. And one of the major things that's that we're facing right now as a community is the public charge. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but to be a public charge, to be considered a public charge is anyone who takes um, a public benefit or relies on public assistance. So if you're on welfare or if you're on Section 8 housing or if you do Medicare Part D or if your kids um, you know, t- uh, participate in school lunches, those are all public benefits. And so for families that are not citizens yet, and if you have a record of, of being, quote unquote, a public charge, they may deport you. And if you have a deportable offense and they see that you're a public charge, then you would be ripe for deportation. And that strikes at the heart of um, sort of what immigration policy is all about, right? When we bring in folks and we're giving them refuge from war or from other atrocities in the country, in the world, um, we're bringing them in, but we have to help them get a, get a start, get, get their, you know, um, to be able to stand on their own two feet, right? Not to mention, these are folks, green card holders, who actually pay taxes. So they pay sales taxes, they pay all kinds of different taxes, but yet now they can't access these public benefits. And so we yeah. find that that's really unjust and immoral for them to take this position. And quite frankly, right now, the, the Department of Justice just sent over their draft of this public charge uh, for deportation rule. And so we expect this to be an ongoing challenge for the uh, Asian American community. For those of you who just tuned in, you're listening to Ask a Leader on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guest for the full hour is Katie Calvota, co-founder of a new political action campaign in 
expressly in Orange County, Asian Americans Rising. She's president and co-founder, and she is the founder and CEO of G3 Ventures. And so we're talking about the various issues that Asians American Rising is taking up and running with and coalescing around, and specifically right now about health care. And there's also, there's public health research. I mean, that Asian Americans are underrepresented in the, the clinical research. So I don't know if that's something we're taking. And I also want you to consider, is there a campaign for making sure everybody's vaccinated? And Because I don't know with the, the public charge, if that uh, is the kind of uncertainty of the kind of coverage of getting your vaccinations in order is going to is also a kind of a a delicate matter um, and a a cultural kind of barrier if there is one yeah well a lot of the vaccinations for our vulnerable populations can be done at community health clinics and so they may not be necessarily considered a public charge uh, necessarily because they're not going through the you know federal agencies Um, however there are concerns across the board about what we can access you know in public health so you know our seniors for instance on medicare and medicaid for instance are very unsure about you know you know what services they can tap and how that might affect their families and their immigration status you know asian americans um have uh you know we have inadequate um the the asian american community is really interesting right because people see the success of the asian american communities our students are going to harvard and things like that and then they look at us and go well this is not a community in need they're doing things really really well look at uci where we are right now there's a you know a lot of uh, asian american students here however it's it's a very bifurcated community there are the ones that have and then the ones that are have nots and traditionally more even more than that there's it's trifurcated because there are some that are passing through as international students so they're not necessarily here to get institutional become institutionally savvy they don't really have to they're going to go back but maybe they're not so back to the the bifurcated part yeah so our communities our poor communities have inadequate access to public health services Um, and in fact what you'll see is a lot of times they will go to their local doctor for all kinds of different services and they may not access you know hospital services or they may not access you know larger uh, community organizations out of fear and just kind of out of feeling inadequate about you know how to navigate these different various programs when my parents were sick you know having to navigate medicare and things like that was just so difficult Uh, i find it difficult and i find that i'm a reasonably intelligent person it is very difficult all of these different channels and so can you imagine someone with a language barrier and someone with a cultural barrier someone um so it it, it, it's very intimidating and the repatriating and all those other moving targets you don't know whether you're covered or not or whether you should try, whether you're compromising your exactly. paperwork to become naturalized. Well, they've politicized the entire process. So now healthcare is politicized, right? Which means so that it can be weaponized and used against you. And so the fear, the constant fear of seeking help and seeking health services is always under fire. But I do want to mention before we uh, leave this topic yes. is that Asian Americans have a three times greater risk of heart disease. We also comprise of the highest percentage of youth suicides in Orange County. 
And we are also the only ethnic group to see an increase in breast cancer rates in the last 10 years. So there are disparities, health disparities in our community that is just not something that we've communicated really well to the general public. And our healthcare advocacy dollars for the Asian American community is almost non-existent. So what we need to do is we need to shine a spotlight on these disparities and be able to help this community along with all of the other um, underprivileged communities in Orange County. So, Katie, you're bringing a very important point about there's a multitude of very salient issues that need to be approached at the same time. Yes. So how in your previous work or with some new new ideas coming in, how are you going to sort of breathlessly cover <laughs> health care, census enumeration, immigration m- moving to... How, how do you talk out of all corners of your mouth to sort of get somebody in a state of mind that they can move through all these institutions for their own security. How well, do you do that? We have to we have to leverage our community partners. I mean there's no way uh, Asian American So everybody's going to have to handle different topics at once, but you're there's going to be a temptation to sort of like fold them into each other. I don't think so. And I, I don't think that we will do that because okay. um, my sole mission to exist is to be able to provide a lift for other existing community organizations. Our goal in doing what we're doing is not to sort of come in and take over the job and the work of other community organizations. Our goal is how can we add value to what they're currently doing and the good work that they're doing. And it's an okay. uh, it's the math of addition as opposed to subtraction. And that's how we're able to sort of address all of these issues is we have to identify who our partners are. Um, and, and one of the things that we always talk about is this, this building a constellation, right? Is so that every organization shines on its own because they're a star in its, their own right, not to dim their light at all, but that we are part of this universe, right, of people lifting one another up. So let's talk about A, how best people can follow you, and B, follow you so they know exactly all they need to know about the convention you'll be presenting September 8th. Yeah. So tell us about what's coming up and what you want to do with that convention. Right. Um, so thank you for that. To follow us, we are on all of the different social media platforms as Asian Americans Rising. So we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, and we're on Instagram. We are trying to also work really hard on this uh, API Democratic Presidential Forum that's going to take place on September 8th. And it's going to be held at the uh, Cedarstrom Center for the Arts. And uh, we're very excited about that. It's a 3,000 seat venue. And we're going to open it for ticket sales at the end of this month. So it's really exciting. Um, We hope to get the top 10 candidates. But as you probably have heard or seen, Eric Swalwell just dropped out. So we know. Sires in. Sires in. So So it's like the names are. The number's constant. So, it's, you know, yeah, exactly. It's hard to know who's going to be in, in right, September. Right, right. So we talked to all of them, and we're working out different, as I spoke to you earlier, different right. contracts with them. and, and you know. So some are work. committing already. Yes, yes, some you've have got committed. A, you've got about eight or nine, at least, that are for sure coming? About three or four that oh, are okay. hard commits, and others we're talking to, and we're slowly getting there. Um, the reason why, you know, it's taking so long is because, obviously, we're, we're working with a fluid candidate pool. <laughs> so we want to make sure that we get the top candidates there because really above and beyond everything else it's about having visibility for the Asian American community um, I don't know if you paid attention to the first democratic debate I certainly did did you well, that was riveting wasn't it 
but they had an African-American moderator. They had an LGBTQ moderator. They had a female moderator. They had a male moderator. They had a Hispanic, a Latino moderator, but no Asian-American on that platform at all. So largely politically, we are invisible. And so the goal of this event is to really, you know, you're going to help them check a box they haven't checked yet. Have so that's, a, I guess, one of your bargaining chips. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Orange County has so many voters and so many diverse ones that are going to send a message out to other parts well, of the country. So in 2018, we were sort of ground zero for flipping the house. And so I believe that we are also um, at the at the cutting edge of sort of seeing how different communities like us or purple in nature are going to move in 2020. So... I didn't give you a chance to sort of color the political sensibility, but is this, would you consider a progressive political action committee? Are you giving home to progressives or is that's not the point? No, we are. We are. We have progressive values. We believe in women's rights, immigrant rights, um, uh, those types of things, economic mobility. We, you know, we want to champion all of those values, environmentalism and things like that. And then also gun control. Those are all important values to the Asian American community. But at the same time, what we don't want to do is we don't want to um, solely rest on our labels, right? I think that the breakdown of our community and our society today is that we're labeling one another. You know, are you from this party? Are you from that party? And with groups, there are lots and lots of communities like the Asian American community where we're really trying to define who we are. And I think 2018 really spoke a lot to uh, to that effort is what do we care about? What are our values? Let's boil it down to that. And let's talk about these values, um, not in terms of are you a Democrat or are you a Republican, but let's talk about what, how we want to advance our, our country, our society, and what are the things that we want to promote? Like, do we want to promote inclusiveness? Do we want to promote, you know, being able to provide health care for everyone? Is that something that we believe in? So with that, what's the program? Let's, I, I know we can't ask for a little bit of scoop here <laughs> uh, for the September 8th yeah. uh, convention, yeah. that presidential convention. So what would be what the program would do essentially. Right, right. So on Sunday, that Sunday, well, let me just take a step back and just, uh, you know, s- tell you about a couple other things. On Saturday, the Saturday preceding the presidential forum, we will have actually uh, an API Community Action Summit. And that will be a summit that we will convene, you know, Asian American and other grassroots advocates from across the country to come together and learn best practices, build their leadership skills, things like that, so that we can deploy them in 2020, but also we can build an infrastructure to help the community um, at large across the United States. Okay, that was getting to my question I've been having for a while, because I know it's organizing in Orange County, but your sites are very, very broad. So that's the the summit on the Saturday before the presidential summit. And then after all that hard work, what we want to do is we want to throw a party. We just want people to have fun, be able to mingle a network, and be able to just celebrate their cultures and be proud of the things that we've accomplished so far uh, as a community, and all celebrate the things that are, are rich about you know the makeup of you know Asian Americans, and so we're hosting uh, a soiree, a summer soiree, at the Center Club. So it's all kind of being housed at the uh, Sedgestrom Center uh, for the Arts. So we have the Community Action Summit that's taking place at the Westin, South Coast Plaza, and then we have the summer soiree that's going to take place at the Center Club. 
and then we're going to have the presidential forum on Sunday at uh, Sedgestrom Hall. And um, the format of that forum will be about 20 minutes interviews with API um, journalists or celebrities. So we want to make it fun. Again, politics, I think, for a lot of people. Are, you mean they're, they're one-on-one with the candidates, or how yes. does that work? Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, so let's say we have... Um, Has Margaret Cho been tapped yet? We have reached Better out tap. to her people. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so let's imagine Joe Biden comes on stage, and then he's being he's met by um, an API journalist or an API uh, celebrity, and so they'll throw him a few questions that are of importance to the API community, and that's the way that we build a bigger tent for political engagement in this community. We can't make it so that it's intimidating for someone who feels like they may not be part of the Democratic Party to want to come in a tent and learn about these candidates. We want to make it as inviting and welcoming as possible. Introducing other idioms for Asians comporting publicly. Exactly. Exactly. I hope Margaret Cho says yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's just one I'm thinking. Oh, and Jose Antonio Vargas would be, um, wouldn't he be amazing? Amazing. There's so many people to There's, choose from. Yeah. Wow. He's just printed out his own book, his memoir. He's printed in Spanish because everybody thought he was Hispanic, but he's really Filipino. So <laughs> he just tweeted that this morning, I well, think. Well, you know so, what's so interesting is our count, and even in our um, voter databases, yes. we're getting all kinds of different better data as a result of this breakdown of Asian Americans. Um, a lot of our Filipino brothers and sisters are categorized as Latino. Yeah. And so we can't capture, earlier you, you brought up a statistic of Asian Americans yeah, in Yeah, that Orange number, County. what's that really mean, yeah. It's quite low, actually, because we know that there there's about 800,000 Vietnamese Americans alone. So... So, okay, I should have considered the source better. It's extremely low. So what we're saying is that with the census, with voter registration and all of these things, we will get a better number and we'll be able to um, identify, you know, areas in which we can, you know, obviously enhance the progressive movement in this community, but also just to identify and and be able to uh, keep track of the sentiments of this community. Well, we need to close this lovely time and... Uh, we'll we'll work on some different language public service announcements Thank you. for pushing out vent st- time specific sorts of things as well as the ongoing census project. We'd like to I'd certainly like to do that. So um, I want to thank you, Katie Calvota, for for being on Ask a Leader today. Thank you so much for having me. My guest was Katie Calvota. She is president and co-founder of the new political action campaign in Orange County. They're getting a lot done. Stay tuned for details later on. We can update folks with the early September, the the 7th and the 8th in uh, Costa Mesa. So uh, I want to thank her for being on the show today. And uh, next week, I'm going to have on the Rapid Response Orange County, and we'll take the full hour given the complexities and the enormity of developments among asylum seekers. Uh, I'm going to quickly fly through some announcements. Today at 4, the Irvine City Council is going to consider a climate action plan. Friday, that's July 12, Lights for Liberty vigils are going to be bringing attention to current policies toward asylum seekers, and you can bring your Asian American sisters and brothers with you there. They're gathering all around the country. You can check online where the nearest one for you will be. Irvine's going to be at Alton Parkway from 7 to 9. Santa Ana at the Civic Center is going to be 8 to 9.30. Orange is going to be outside the Theo Lacey facility 7 to 10. Next Tuesday, the World Affairs Council of Orange County will present 
one in a three-part series entitled Under the Influence, Faking It, a social series, a fake news, misinformation, and media bias. And that's at the UCI's Applied Innovation Cove, 6 to 8. Series is going to uh, cover uh, a whole lot about the media. So that's my wrap. And I want to thank everyone for listening and talk to you next week. <music>